I think kind of in terms of like mental health, it really connected really volleyball because like at a certain point I started to feel like, okay, if I didn't have a good practice, the week was ruined. If I didn't have a good tournament, the week was ruined. Everything was terrible in my life. That feeling is so crippling, especially the anxiety. So it's like, how am I going to advocate for myself? Welcome back to Malls on Mike, a place where we explore the intricacies of health and wellness in the individual and in society. I'm your host, Molly Davis, former USC beach volleyball player and current patient battling Lyme disease. This week, I got the chance to sit down with former George Mason's volleyball player and Tourette's syndrome advocate, Davis Catterley. When Davis first came out to share his story with Tourette's, I was touched by his vulnerability and optimism. I had very little understanding of the condition besides what I had seen online, and even though I had known Davis mutually for years, I had no idea the level of impact Tourette's had on his daily life. Even though he was diagnosed at a young age, he was never going to let Tourette's stop him from achieving his goal of playing Division I volleyball. But before Davis Catterley was a libero at GMU, he was a teenage kid full of ambition and passion for his sport. I'm originally from Austin, Texas, um, but I lived in California, I'd say like half my life or a portion, a big chunk of my life. I originally came to California, I would say primarily because in just in general, men's volleyball, you know, it's not big in Texas and you really have to do so much travel if you're going to show yourself to any college coaches. So just that was very hard to even get visibility in front of them. So I think looking back, like I really wanted to like, I wanted to play college volleyball. Like I was so passionate. I kind of knew in middle school, even before I really knew like whatever that went, like whatever went into that, I knew I wanted to play college volleyball. So when like we had the opportunity and it kind of worked out, um, we moved to California. Davis was ultimately successful in his quest to play Division I volleyball, but the more impressive battles he won were fought off the court with a health condition that has affected him for his whole life, Tourette's syndrome. With Tourette's in general, most people think of it as, you know, the people cussing and stuff, but that's actually a very rare form of it. Uh, most people don't have that form of Tourette's syndrome, and unfortunately, it's very stigmatized because the only kind of visibility of the condition is through social media where people do have the worst form of Tourette's. So what Tourette's is, it's a neurological condition um, characterized by motor and verbal tics. Um, But something that about Tourette's syndrome and just tic orders in general is that a lot of people, um, there's a lot of different kind of ways it can present itself. And it's not just the tics. You know, on the surface, it's kind of described as an iceberg. Everything you see on the surface is the tics. It's the motor and vocal um, tics that you see like through videos on Instagram or whatever. Um, But it's also a lot of um, mental stuff. Like under the surface, there's a lot of anxiety, depression, OCD, ADHD, um, and a lot of other like mental health challenges with it. Um, But I, I have a lower form of it. So it's not as abrupt as other types of Tourette syndrome, but, um, but I'd say like Tourette's kind of dissipates as you grow up in a sense. So I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old and that's when it was pretty bad. I'd say a lot of kind of physical tics and stuff. Um, and it was pretty prevalent and my parents didn't really know what was happening. And then I finally got diagnosed. 
Like many chronic disorders, Tourette's doesn't have a cure. It's a condition that patients will have forever. One of the things about Tourette's syndrome that people say is that I have Tourette's syndrome, but Tourette's doesn't have me. I used it a lot as it's not my whole personality, but I think it's a part of my personality. And I know with, with neurological conditions or just chronic conditions, a lot of people used to kind of, I think before there was like empowerment with these conditions, a lot of people didn't want to talk about it and they didn't want to kind of show people it because it, they might have thought it and made them weaker or it might have been embarrassing or something like that. But I think now kind of with a lot of the advocacy stuff with conditions like Tourette's or even Lyme disease, a lot of people are kind of taking back the power. So I think although it's not my whole personality, it's I think it is a big part of my personality. You know, like I have a lot of energy. And honestly, I think Tourette's is uh, that's a part of that. But it makes me who I am. And I think with Tourette's, like I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, like, yeah, it'd be great not to have Tourette's syndrome. You know, it sucks sometimes. Like, it's exhausting sometimes, you know. But I wouldn't have it any other way not having Tourette's because it, it, it's, it's shaped who I am. It's made me – it's kind of it, – it's been such a big part of my life and it's turned me into I, who I am. Everything happens for a reason. And I think I had it for a reason to kind of talk about it and to spread awareness. In the medical community, there's a term called invisible illness. It's a great way to describe my experience having Lyme disease. Let's face it, I was a Division I athlete. I look and sound really healthy. A lot of people think that I'm being dramatic when I describe my pain, fatigue, or other symptoms. Because of this, I've had numerous encounters with doctors, nurses, and even everyday people who don't really believe me when I tell them that I'm sick. It took doctors 15 years to even run the blood work that showed that I have Lyme. And even after my diagnosis with Lyme disease, it's hard to articulate the gravity of my intangible symptoms to people who don't share the same type of pain. You see, a lot of people can't see my pain, therefore they think it must not exist. But there's an upside to this invisible illness as well. No one can tell just by looking at me that my body is attacking and fighting itself daily. If I'm just sitting in a restaurant booth or walking in a park, you can't tell that there's anything abnormal about me. It allows me to fly under the radar in a sense. So on my good health days, if I met a stranger and didn't mention Lyme disease, they wouldn't bat an eye. But with Davis, it's different. Tourette's is a highly visible disorder. Everyone around Davis can see his tics. There's no way to hide them. For those with Tourette's, it's difficult to blend in. And as a kid, that constant weight of your peers watching and judging is exhausting. I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old. Um, honestly, as a kid with Tourette's syndrome, it's such a visible condition, you know? And kids are mean, you know? So they're seeing you tick and you're like, well, I can't control this. And they're kids, so they don't understand, like, you can't control this. So obviously they're going to be super mean and stuff. Um, so I feel like just in middle school um, and elementary school, kind of having to go through that, I think that really added a lot of layers to me and kind of toughened my outside just having to go through that I say like going through that in middle school and like even in high school definitely like allowed me to kind of be like I think know a lot about myself and kind of allowed me to see bigger picture and I think that's one of the biggest things I that allowed me to get through it to see the bigger picture um because I knew like okay like it might suck now like uh, like people might not be understanding with Tourette's, but I know that I'm gonna, it's gonna just fuel my fire. That fire never faded, even as Davis's battle with Tourette's began to impact his volleyball career. I think Tourette's, you know, 
a big part of me is that there's a whole OCD aspect and there's a very like intense part of Tourette's where you're so like focused on certain stuff. And that was really volleyball for me, right? You know, I moved to California basically for volleyball. And because of that, I think like with Tourette's or just like my personality in general, it made, it put volleyball so high up on importance in my life, literally consuming everything. And I didn't understand that at the time when it was becoming that like junior, sophomore, senior year, right? I think Tourette's really presents itself in that way, especially for me in the kind of OCD part. So I think kind of in terms of like mental health and anxiety and depression, it really connected really volleyball with those feelings and kind of thoughts and stuff. Cause like at a certain point by my junior senior year, I would literally, it's when I started to feel like, okay, if I didn't have a good practice, the week was ruined. If I didn't have a good tournament, the week was ruined. Everything was terrible in my life. I couldn't separate the two because I was so focused on that. And because of that, you know, like that's when I would become super anxious and, you know, even depressed after a tournament if I didn't do good, you know, and like that feeling is so crippling, especially the anxiety like before, because, you know, growing up, you don't have anxiety before playing your sport. You're, you're having fun, right? Like you grow up having fun and I really had fun. I'd say even in high school, I still had a lot of fun, but it started to switch, you know, going into college when you're thrusted into a whole new scenario. Like I was going across the country to Northern Virginia or DC to George Mason. And you're also living in a dorm where there's not a kitchen. There's not, it's super close quarters. You literally, it's just so different than living in the actual house. And I think like that really set off like parts of my Tourette's and anxiety and depression. Like my freshman year when I first went to college, like it was such a big switch. And that's really where kind of the depression and anxiety spiked, I'd say. But like, you know, like when you play a college sport, you're just so grateful to be there and you don't want to complain because you're like, so many people don't get to play division one college athletics, especially at a high level where maybe your team's nationally ranked like my team was. So you're just so thankful. You want to brush off those feelings because you don't. You, if you say, "Oh, I'm anxious" or "I'm depressed," you're like, "Wow! Like I worked so hard to do this. I'm here. This is amazing. Like why am I complaining? I'm privileged." But then you don't want to underplay like <laughs> how you're feeling. Like that, that's not going to make it worse. You can still acknowledge your feelings, but you that doesn't mean like you're not grateful. Mm-hmm. But you can still acknowledge it because if you're not going to acknowledge it, you're just going to throw it under the rug. Then it's going to fester. And that's what it eventually did, I think. You know, so it really festered and then it came out like in the worst time. No one ever accused college athletics of being easy, but taking an athlete who's already struggling with mental health and throwing them into the boxing ring with no resources is recipe for a disaster. Davis felt isolated, slowly losing pieces of his personality that made him who he was. Freshman year, I was just really not doing anything with my team that much. Because during the weekends, I just wanted to relax and chill. I didn't even have my car, so I was just like, okay, like, I'm just here on campus. Like, what am I going to do? Like, and, and in terms of, like, during volleyball, like, on the court or just during practice, like, I was so focused on that, you know? <laughs> and everything was about doing good in volleyball. Um, well, my teammates are always told me, like, 
or after I finished playing volleyball after my third year, <laughs> when I decided to end my career, they always told me, they're like, Davis, you were such a different person, whether it was on a court during game or during a practice or just like even maybe even lift. Like I, I was like, I was, it was bad, but I was a terrible teammate because I was so focused. So like when other guys were like enjoying it, having fun, like whatever, joking, I couldn't do that. Like I physically and me I mentally couldn't do that because I thought like, oh, <laughs> like if I'm joking around and I'm, I'm not taking it serious enough, that's going to affect my playing. But I didn't realize that you need that <laughs> balance. So that was a big struggle for me, I think. And I think all athletes like you probably can realize that. And even like, like when you have a condition and stuff and you're having that, but you're also like, I'm pretty sure like you had those struggles. Like you're like, you, you feel terrible and you don't even, you didn't even know you had Lyme disease at that time. Right. So you're like, I feel bad, but also I want to push through it. But like, it's like a really crazy dueling situation as a whole. So I think that's what makes it interesting. I'd say so. Davis silently struggled with anxiety for the bulk of his volleyball career at GMU without resources available to help him. He eventually reached his breaking point by the end you know, I was such in a, you know, like literally one of the last practices before I ended, like I had a panic attack, like a full on panic attack in warm ups, like peppering. And that had never happened before. I was literally like shaking, like, like breathing, like out of my like chest so hard, literally like tearing up, like cry, I randomly like crying. And I literally had to like sit out for the first like 30 minutes of practice because I couldn't even like chill, right? Essentially. Um, so I feel like at that point, I was at such a bad place, you know, and, and, you know, having a coach that really does not even see mental health as at all um, a priority or not even, not even a priority, not even, even up there, like the very bottom of the totem pole really just makes it like two times worse. I, I think obviously there's a lot of stuff that needs to change within college, like just college sports in general and sports in general. You know, it, it's really hard to keep the focus on prioritizing mental health. And I think coaches really have to put mental health in a staple of their program. If they don't have that as a staple, something that they talk about weekly, even daily, then it's never going to allow athletes to have that balance. You know, my coach never had any of that. My, my team was so like heightened and I feel like anxious. Literally, it, it, we of course didn't play the best we could. <laughs> the mental health has to be a daily or weekly thing that is talked about and is prioritized. And if that's not prioritized, then it's gonna not be able to, the, not gonna be able to be present and the players are not gonna think about it. So when it ends up festering, then the players will have no idea how to deal with it, especially with a coach that doesn't prioritize it as a whole. So definitely I think the NCAA has to has to like establish like certain requirements or codes for resources that programs need to provide their players. I get it. Some schools are smaller, right? They don't have as much resources, but there's some like, there's some like some just baseline stuff that even some programs don't have. I mean, like you're literally a young adult, not even a young adult. You're still basically a teenager and you don't have these skills developed when you're in these really intense situations that can really cause a lot of harm mentally to people. You aren't going to know how to kind of 
kind of combat these feelings or these situations. Ultimately, Davis relied on his faith in God to get through the darkest times of his volleyball career and to reconnect with his true passions in life. The reason I was able to finish volleyball and finish my after my like my third year, I think my faith really played a big picture into that because I think before like you know, I ha- always had faith but like for example, like my sophomore year like when I was like so depressed during season and it was just kind of the depths like I had faith but I didn't like actually understand God sees you more than a volleyball player right <laughs> he it's it's not God creates you because you have so many other aspects of your life you know and other personalities that people love you for right um and you're not just a volleyball player in God's eyes right and when I finished or before I was like thinking about it and it, I just got to a point where in it, like I was just like what do I do? Like, I have no joy in this sport. Like, <clears throat> I'm completely done. Like, what What do I do? And then I kind of thinking on that faith aspect, having that, like, it's okay. It will be okay. Everything happens for a reason. Like, if you finish, there will be a plan for you. <laughs> like, you won't be screwed. Because I think volleyball was always in goals. Like, play pro. Like, do amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Like, go so far. But because I had that faith, I was like, okay, like, I know <laughs> that... My plan after this will be great and I can step down and I can be content knowing that it will be okay, you know, and having that faith, it provides a lot of comfort. And without that, I don't think I would have been able to kind of realize that. Davis's journey through college athletics was not easy. It was complex and it was lonely at times. But the difficulties he endured inspired him to turn his struggles into a paved pathway for those who would follow in his footsteps. Having Tourette's and the advocacy I found myself wanting to do with Tourette's. And also I think a lot of the stigmas around mental health and just conditions or chronic conditions in general, disabilities, like (laughs) that really provided a lot of passion and motivation to wanting to work in the healthcare space or the disability policy space. There's so much stuff... (laughs) in the healthcare system that hurts the people where they're honestly feeling gaslighted, (laughs) medically gaslighted. I know you know a lot about that, right? (laughs) Especially with Lyme disease. Um, But just navigating through the healthcare system very hard, especially with mental health on that side through the healthcare system, which it's getting better, right? It's getting better, but still a lot of places go. That really provided a lot of um, motivation to work in it. And also in the advocacy space, like, being kind of like people not knowing what Tourette's is and not knowing how to like act around it and stuff or just being straight out rude or mean, whatever, that provided a lot of momentum and and motivation to me. Like, hey, I'm going to work in healthcare policy and I'm going to advocate for these people that have worse conditions than me, right? So I think kind of going through all of that really was like, I know like this is what I want to be in, you know, like, and I'm, I'm very blessed to like understand that this is where I'm supposed to be. A lot of people don't know that or they don't know until like later in life what they want to work in or what, what path or they might be not be passionate about that. But I think because of my struggles on a whole, um, it really like provided a lot of purpose, intrinsic purpose <laughs> to work in that space. And 
I, I, I'm very blessed to, uh, to know that. So I think going from there, I really want to stay in the healthcare policy space and continue working to make the healthcare system more accessible, um, more equitable for people with chronic conditions. You know, there's just so many things with the healthcare system that really provide so many barriers for people, especially with disabilities, right? And yeah, I think just kind of going through life and having to be my own advocate, you know, like so much things about disabilities or chronic conditions that you people fault find themselves in is that they, you have to be your own advocate. But I think being able to advocate for yourself really and having to do that <laughs> growing up um, or even having to do it during a program, like in college volleyball, my coach called me Twitch because of my Tourette syndrome, you know, and because of that power balance, it's a weird power balance. He's your head coach. So it's like, how am I going to advocate for myself? I eventually did it. I'm like, this is not okay. Like you cannot do that. Right. So I think finding the courage to advocate for myself and even advocate after I was done um, with volleyball and talk about my experience and be like, this is not okay. This is not okay to talk to people like this, especially when you're in a power position, like being a head coach of a good program, especially for a coach that's so rooted in the USA volleyball system. And finding that courage to be like, hey, I'm going to talk about this. This is not okay. <laughs> I, I needed to spread the word. And a lot of people resonated kind of with some similar experiences. And I, I think finding that courage really provided me with the passion and a purpose to going to the healthcare and disability space. So I think that was a big reason why I ended up kind of choosing my path. Davis continues to inspire me with his determination and the way in which he stands up for both himself and others with kindness. He's powerful, full of optimism, and living a life that is sure to touch countless people with and without Tourette's. I think, you know, health is, it's very complex. And I think before, like, I think before, like 10 years ago, maybe people defined health as living life with without a condition in general. But I think a lot with like disability nowadays is that living to the best of your ability and even if like it may not be as good as what other people might characterize as good health, I think it really depends on how the individual sees health, you know, and how they, def what makes them happy and kind of if they're content, you know? So I think a lot about kind of the disability um, kind of advocacy is showing like there are different ways to be healthy and be content. I'm very proud of you. I think that what you're, what you have done and what you are doing and what you will continue to do is going to touch a lot of people and including being Thanks. so, Thanks, Molly. <laughs> thank you for being willing to talk about it. And, um, do you want to tell people where they can find you like on Instagram maybe? Yeah. Um, just Instagram Davis Catterley. Um, I would say I use Instagram the most. I don't really use Twitter or anything or anything else. So yeah, Instagram Davis Catterley. I continue to spread awareness about Tourette syndrome and on there. Um, everyone tune in to Molly's new podcast. She's gonna have be having a lot of uh, great people on. So everyone should tune in. So I, we can end on that note, I guess. Thank you so much. Yeah. This was another episode of Malls on Mike featuring Davis Catterley. You can find my podcast page on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Malls on Mike. That's M-O-L-L-S-O-N-M-I-C. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and sign up for notifications so that you never miss an episode. We'll see you next Thursday.